And I think getting getting the character stuff sorted out is is huge to me. So pay attention to the small things, you know, um, exaggeration, how you how you're using your time, how you deal with criticism, all of the things that enable you to move into the future, so that when you do uh, face larger, more complex situations that come with increased influence and growth in gifting, um, you can handle it in a godly way, and you don't blow your life and ministry up. So to me, intimacy with Jesus and then getting the, passing the character tests, those are always the most important things, I think, in God's eyes. And they're often so overlooked. Well, hey, friends, welcome to another episode of the Canadian Church Leaders Podcast. If you're new with us, my name is Jason. I'm a pastor in Vancouver, and I'm part of the team leading the Canadian Church Leaders Network. And the vision of CCLN is to fuel a dynamic and fruitful future for the church in Canada by investing in the next generation of church leaders. And as part of that vision, we host this podcast and we're preparing a training program called the Future Church Leaders Incubator, and we host events and gatherings. And in early October, we hosted a webinar in partnership with Alpha Canada, and we were so honored to have John Tyson, who's the lead pastor of Church of the City in New York, and Father James Mallon, the priest of Our Lady of Guadalupe Parish in Dartmouth, Nova Scotia. And the two of them were on for a conversation about ministry and church leadership. And I'm excited to share this conversation with you today. And our hope through this webinar was, and still is, that it would provide encouragement and wisdom and some practical advice for anyone navigating ministry in this uniquely challenging time. And the webinar was moderated by Shayla Visser, who's the National Director of Alpha Canada. And there were two parts to the conversation. First, Shayla asked John and Father James some questions that we had prepared together in advance. And at the end, they opened up to questions from the audience on the webinar. And personally, my favorite part about this hour together is that we We had hundreds of leaders join this webinar from all different provinces and regions of Canada representing different churches and denomination. And it was just beautiful to be able to be together in this way, even online, and to be reminded that we're part of such a big story and that God's on the move in Canada and beyond. It was a stunning conversation. It was the kind of conversation that I needed to listen to a second time because the content was so profound. And so I'm thrilled that we're able to share it with you today. Okay, let's jump on in. We are delighted to have John and Father James on this call with all of us. And uh, John, you're calling in from New York City, I presume, and Father James from Dartmouth, Nova Scotia. Welcome. So I just want to start with some questions. We're going to just jump into the meat of the conversation. And John, this first question is for you. You have invested a lot of time studying and teaching on renewals in history. And I have two questions for you. First is, uh, why is this such a value for you? And second, what are you learning that you think we need to rediscover as the church today? Okay, uh, just before I jump into that, I just wanted to say to everybody, thank you so much. Uh, I love what God is doing across Canada, and I'm so blessed uh, by everything Alpha do. So I'm so honored you guys have been a gift to us. And to everybody who's listening, bless you. It is such a challenging time to be in ministry. So I just want to honor you and just say thank you uh, for what it is that you do. Uh, Renewal, yeah, it's one of the passions of my life. I I think it matters because we are living at a time of such tremendous decline. And um, I think it's important for us to understand in many ways, this is not all God offers us. This is not as good as it gets. It's not all the Bible promises. And I think we have 
not just a responsibility, but an invitation by God to close that gap. Um, if you study the lives of the kings in the Old Testament, God is just looking for people who will obey him so he can bless them. I mean, it's, you know, uh, King Asa, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to strongly support those whose hearts are fully his. So I think we're at a time where God is looking for people that he can use to bring about renewal. Um, I, I think the the challenge, so it's important because we need it. Number one, we desperately need God to break in and for things to change. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of factors in the moment, um, Gosh, I, I hope the devil's number one plan, I honestly believe, it's, it's, it's division and distraction. It's getting our eyes off the most important thing and getting us opposed to each other instead of fighting together. And uh, so I think it's pressing into what God has and doing it in a united way is uh, sort of the need of the hour right now. I've heard you say, John, that uh, young people want destiny and older people want legacy. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah. So um, I'm in my early forties and um, it was sort of birthed out of, out of the tensions I felt that concept. I, I sort of came across that concept in my late twenties. It's when I, was the, I first became a senior pastor and I realized um, that young folks were primarily driven just by ambition, shape the future, shape the future. And folks who have been really faithful walking with God um, often felt dismissed by the ambition of young people, sort of like get off the stage and give me a shot. And, you know, the lack of honor, both of the elderly of recognizing what young people carried and the responsibility they'd have to shape the future. And also the dishonor of young people saying, get out the way we want to have a shot. I was like, how do you integrate these things? And so to me, it was like, is it possible to make the legacy of one generation, the raising up and releasing of the destiny of the next generation? So rather than being sort of a fracturing between generations, that there would be acceleration because one generation would steward it and pass on to the next one. And uh, in New York right now, I mean, um, all the city fathers are handing their churches over. Keller is almost 70. Jim Symbol is almost 70. The pastor of Times Square's just stepped down. Pete Scazzaro's handed his church over. So we're at that moment right now where we're witnessing that happen. And uh, I, I hope to see more of that done well. That's amazing. Father James, you are ta- have just taken on a new parish. And in that, you're looking for renewal. You're looking for both the young people and the older people to work together for the sake of your parish and your surrounding city. So can you tell us, where are you starting? Because you and I have talked about the fact that, you know, you've got a lot of work ahead of you. Um, where are you starting with your parish? Well, it's great to be here. It's great to, to, uh, to, to share this, to be a part of this conversation. And just as John said, I want to thank all of you in ministry right now for, for your faithfulness, for your yes to the Lord, for your willingness to enter before the Lord and worship and, and not say, here I am, Lord, come and do my will, but here I am, Lord, I come to do your will. And that, that, that's, the, that's the daily cry of our hearts. And really, that's where, that's really, when you ask, where am I, where am I starting from? That's kind of like where I'm starting from. I was I led uh, St. Benedict Parish for 10 years and we saw amazing things happen. And I was able to uh, hand over leadership of that church to a younger pastor who is doing a phenomenal job. It's way, the church is in a much bit better place under his leadership than it was with mine. And they're continuing to innovate and do amazing things. And then for three years, I worked at the, at the regional level, helping uh, support leadership and restructuring. But COVID changed everything. And there was a sense, too, that, you know, this is a changed world. And all of a sudden, 
you know, I'm supposed to be helping pastors. And there was this sneaking feeling that I don't know what I'm talking about anymore. <laughs> you know, the principles still hold, but the world has changed. And, and I, need, I need to get off the bench. I need to get back in. So where am I? I find myself in, in a church that is, how, how can I say it? Um, I've, I've never quite encountered so many levels of, of, of huge potential for growth. I'll just keep it positive. Like the, the potential for betterment and growth is overwhelming in every single possible conceivable way. And, you know, so it's really starting from scratch. I'm inheriting a, a, a hugely declining church in this part of the city. Uh, the, the, the age demographics are overwhelmingly people in, who are in their senior years. Um, crumbling buildings, crumbling infrastructure, financial problems, zero evangelism, zero discipleship uh, be, being done. Um, no sense of purpose, no, no, no vision, no, no real sense of, 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 of mission and all of this. So I, I'm here and I'm like, this is actually kind of fun. You know, if, as long as I can stop that spirit of, of uh, you know, negativity sometimes from creeping in, you know, it's so much easier for us to be complaining than to be positive. And so we have to really be intentional about that. And so I want to be positive in saying that the potential is off the scale. And like anything, Jesus is still Lord. The Holy Spirit is still moving. And the potential, uh, as, as chaotic as this is and as, and as dysfunctional as it is, there are gemstones all over the ground. And those gemstones are the people of God whose gifts are untapped, whose potential has not been called forth. And we all know what happens when those things come together, when the Lord starts moving. Um, the, the church starts becoming what it's supposed to be. And so that's what I'm looking forward to, uh, like in any attempt to to bring renewal to a church you know i gotta grapple with the very thing i often i often speak about that it's a marathon and not a sprint uh, you know you, you you can't fast track the transformation of a of a of a declining church you can't fast track it it takes time amazing i uh think what you said there but the hope of opportunity that we have is a right now moment as well to change our mindset and see the opportunity and when you think about the next generation john you referenced it earlier and father james you just talked about the hope that we have right now uh as you think about yourself as a leader 20 years ago you're both similar ages i think father james you and i are slightly older than john but as you think about yourself 20 years ago uh what do you wish that you could tell yourself back then that you would put in as a habit or an attitude that would have helped you in your leadership? Because as this transition is happening and we're seeing young leaders take positions of authority and leadership in local congregations, what should they know? What should they be thinking and praying about? To me, the younger years primarily, they're all about uh, developing intimacy with Jesus, having that spiritual foundation to draw from, but also it's passing the character tests I often find that God is, is putting very, very small things in front of you um, that are basically clues to your destiny. And so many of the temptations we face, they're temptations from the enemy because they contain the seeds of possibility as to who we're, we're supposed to become. And I think getting, getting the character stuff sorted out is, is huge to me. So pay attention to the small things, you know, um, exaggeration. 
how you how you're using your time how you deal with criticism all of the things that enable you to move into the future so that when you do uh, face larger more complex situations that come with increased influence and growth and gifting um, you can handle it in a godly way and you don't blow your life and ministry up so to me intimacy with jesus and then getting that passing the character tests those are always the most important things i think in god's eyes and they're often so overlooked um, we're very unaccountable. We care about gifting. Uh, we care about influence. We care about capacity. But character is really the thing that Jesus is looking for. I just wish that got drilled into me, drilled into me, drilled into me. Excellent. Father James. Well, amen to everything that John said. Uh, I think one difference for me was, as I look back 20 years ago, is, is I guess, my my learning around the the importance of 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 working and leading within a team or leading out of a team, not just leading a team. I mean, one of the first challenges I had to deal with about twenty years ago when I took over a church that actually had six staff members. It was like, oh my goodness, I've I've never had a staff member before. What do I do? And I had to learn to lead, and that but then learning how to lead out of a team, and the difference being that that you know that so many of the the things that I'm usually left to burden to shoulder the burden by myself. Uh, in the past, I mean, I might reach out to a couple of mentors, or more experienced pastors or church members and get their opinion, but to actually exercise a real conscious leadership in a, in a shared fashion where it's not leadership by committee, it's such a critical thing. And John mentioned accountability. And for me, I think that's it, besides the point of, you know, making the best possible decisions and getting different input from people who see different things, see things differently. As long as people are unified around a common vision and there's a high level of trust and love and support in that team, aside from the utilitarian function of, of making potentially is it the best decisions possible, is the accountability piece uh, that John mentioned. Because in any human organization, uh, if you're in the, the leadership role, there is that boss dynamic. And then you add within the church the fact that you're also the spiritual leader. And then in my own tradition, you know, we, we wear the plastic, you know, like I'm the priest, you know, you get, I'm not just the boss. I'm not just the spiritual leader. I'm the priest. So there's a whole, there's whole kinds of, of well, lack of accountability. Uh, and, and I've often thought that, you know, three simple points of advice I'd give to the younger, I'd give to the younger version of myself. Number one, don't be an idiot. Number two, get people around you who will tell you when you're being an idiot. And number three, don't be an idiot. That's pretty clear. Uh, what yeah. does accountability look like for both of you then? Uh, what What have you built in now that's in your current life that's accountability? Well, one thing I want to say is everybody that fails publicly has, uh, I don't know of a church uh, that's had a major uh, pastoral failure, large or small, where there wasn't a, a leadership council, a vestry, elders, deacons. So to some sense, um, you're as accountable as you want to be in some sense. Almost everybody who has an affair is the whole thing's built on lying and they're probably in a men's group where they're, you know, so ha- you've got to have a vision of the fear of God internally. You will stand before God and give an account for your life. So I think that's a huge part. The second thing I would say is um, it's, it's having accountability in the deep issues of your heart. So for me, most of my life, the big sins are gone. It's hard for me to do the big sins at this point in my life. Uh, you know, uh, people look at what I look at on my computer. People know where my time goes. We've got a very, very high level of financial accountability. But a lot of it is about the attitudes of the heart. It's those smaller issues, pride, selfishness, comparison, 
envy, judgmentalism. Um, it's getting those things out of my heart. So it's, you know, I have a, I have a, a group of people that I regularly confess my sins to. Uh, they're people that I trust. Um, they're people that I can say anything to. So to me, it's getting those close friends who won't judge you, whose livelihood doesn't depend on you. So they're not going to give you a pass where you can be really honest with the deep things in your heart. So if you don't have those larger pieces, for example, you know, basically around sex, money and power, the great temptations, um, you need to get those in place. But then to me, it's about, it's about the attitude of the heart because ultimately the culture of your heart will become the culture you create. It's the culture of your leadership, be the culture of your family, it would be the culture of your church. So that's it to me, find the people you can just get everything out on the table with. That's, that's huge. Yeah. Father James. I think, um, you know, God has had hardwired and gifted each, each of us differently. And I think that a real path to fruitfulness in, is, in ministry is leaning into those giftings. Of course, as soon as you lean into anything, you're going to be off balance. And so that whole need of, of having people around you who will bring you balance. I mean, the traditional sense of formation in any kind, of any kind, including seminary formation, was let's create a balanced person. Let's form a balanced person. That's a total myth. There's no such thing as a balanced person. The truth is we're all warped. We're all weird. We're all uniquely gifted. And, and we have particular weaknesses. And so to be that kind of healthy a balanced person, we need to have people around us who will help us to do that. And that includes accountability systems like spiritual direction. And of course, we have a, a sacramental expression of, of, of the confession of sins, which uh, is, a, is a really beautiful thing as well. Um, but I, I think for myself, you know, like leaning into my particular strengths, it does open me up. It, it, it creates a, a, big, a big space that if I don't have people there with, with the, the strengths there to speak into that area and to be present in that area, I can, I can actually wreck a lot of havoc. I can do damage because it's the whole intent versus impact thing. You know, like I, I'm, so I'm often, as we all are, blind to my impact. And I literally need people who will grab me sometimes and say, James, you're, you're being an idiot. It's like, oh man, I'm being an idiot. I didn't realize. I mean, I didn't, I didn't want to be an idiot. I didn't even know I was being an idiot. That's pretty bad. But so I know I've got that huge blind spot, and I need people who are going to be willing to That's do that. Good. In my last, in That's my last good. parish, I had an amazing team uh, where they would, they would challenge me like crazy. They wouldn't let me get away with anything, and that includes things like we would hammer out, uh, you know, principles and a strategy and what we were going to do, and then. You know, a month later, I'm trying to I'm trying to sneak the puck around the around the net to score a goal on the other side, and they didn't let me get away with it. They didn't let me get away with it, and holding me down to 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 what we agreed on, um, and and so I haven't yet got that in my new place. I've I've got a a leadership team. We're still kind of putting it together because you know I think of the last team where literally the you know members of the team they they literally didn't let me get away with anything. There was there was no awe of, of who I was in, in, in my position. That's what every leader needs. Every leader needs the people. It's based on love. It's, it's, not, it's not anything other than that, but based on love and trust. And, and then we, we hold each other accountable and call each other out when needed. That's amazing. You guys are so wise and it's so helpful regardless of where you are in your ministry career, in your church leader career, to learn from you and to implement some of these principles that you've put in your life and obviously are keeping you on track with the Lord and in service to the Lord in the kingdom and in your local congregation. 
it's unique that we have an evangelical church leader and a Catholic church leader on this call today. And you have both modeled a ministry that has learned from each other's traditions and from the other traditions in the church today. And I wonder if you have any reflections for us on that journey of learning from each other and what that has meant for your congregation, but also your own leadership. Well, I mean, I I think that one of the curses of evangelicalism is that it's ahistorical. You know, we don't have that deep sense of uh, history and tradition. So every leader feels like they have to invent or reinvent Christianity every time they're a pastor. So I've always appreciated that the the beauty of tradition, that people have been following Jesus in every time, place, and context long before I showed up, and they will follow up. And they will do that later. So that's that's definitely something I've gotten from the Catholic Church, the importance of tradition. I also really respect um, the hierarchy of the Catholic Church. I know that's something that people bristle with, but I'm telling you in evangelicalism, the crisis of authority, every, you know, the, well, the great critique of the Reformation is that everyone, there'll be a thousand mini popes or whatever, is so true. And I think that's amplified in this generation. There's no accountability to a, a sense of place, like a parish ministry. Uh, or context uh, to a larger body. If I don't like this church, I'll walk down the street and go somewhere else. So again, I've appreciated that uh, about other traditions and I've tried to learn from them. Also, I think if you're hungry for God, you will feast wherever you find him. Hmm. And you you will you will see the beauty of God's work through various personalities and traditions all over the world, and you just be hungry for it. And so I've always tried to read very widely, and I've always been so blessed. Um, I, I think in in some I love so two things. I love the saints of the Catholic Church. A saint is a reminder of divine possibility. It's just a reminder that there's more available. And I love the contemplative tradition that's connected with that. And then again, I, I love the the the, uh, the focus on place and local faithful ministry. And I think again, evangelicals tend to just drift around based on whims. And there's a lot of good about being an evangelical. I'm one by choice, but that would be some of the things that I've appreciated and drawn from when it comes to the Catholic Church and other traditions. Excellent, Father James. Well, having uh, John, I'm not sure if you remember this, but a number of years ago in London uh, at the leadership conference yes. one night, we, we met with a group of people around a fireplace and had, I, I had one of the most... You had single most scots there. I do remember that. I, I did. That, that's right. And I, and I think that you might have these kind of conversations all the time, but that was one of the, the most uh, engaging, uh, interesting conversations that I've had, that, that I'd had for a long time. And I would say, John, that, that, that you strike me as being a Catholic evangelical in the sense of you, the, the universal scope of, you, of your thought and your passion and your mission. And for me, I, I guess I, I'm, I'm a true Catholic in that I'm an evangelical Catholic. And, and I just think that, that as we come together, as we share our, our hearts, our common hearts, our conviction, that the church is at its best when, when, G, when it lifts up Jesus. You know, because that's as it. You know, when the Son of Man is lifted up, he will draw all people to, to himself. We don't need tricks. We don't need gimmicks. We just need to raise him up. And the church to do that is we've got to, at least even from the grassroots, grassroots level, heal those divisions. Because, it, you know, at the Reformation, there was a, the reforming impulse, in a sense, was, was kind of sidelined. And, and there was a reaction to the reaction to the reaction to the reaction. And the ancient saying, you know, Ecclesia Semper Reformanda, that the church 
to be faithful to itself must constantly be renewing and reforming all, all the time. I think of uh, my last church, uh, St. Benedict Church, on the way out in the foyer, as you looked outwards, there were four stained glass windows. On one side was uh, uh, Pope St. Gregory the Great, uh, who sent missionaries to England in the, in the fifth, fifth century from, from Rome, and uh, an image of Peter speaking to Cornelius, or possibly Felix, some ro Roman dude with a, with a br bristly thing on, on his head. So you've got the, the, the Petrine magisterial dimension that, that John spoke of on these two sets of windows. And the other window is Pentecost and Paul preaching the gospel, the evangelical charismatic Pentecostal dimension, the Petrine magisterial dimension. And here's my conviction. You, you isolate any one of these four dimensions, the church is going to limp. You, you, put, you put stress on the Petrine magisterial institutional side of the office, without the charismatic and the evangelical, it becomes, it becomes a shell. It becomes an outward, uh, outward thing only. Uh, the other stuff without the, without the shell, without, without the structure can very quickly fall apart. So that to me was always a great reminder as I would go, when people went out of the church, when they were missioned out into the world, uh, that these things together were at our best. And I just love, uh, I've learned so much uh, uh, from, from the evangelical tradition, you know, I, I'm just so grateful the things I've learned about leadership and, and also I just love the, 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 the Christ centeredness of everything and the, the love of scripture and all of that. I, that, that just, I think that just helps me to be a better Catholic. Amazing. Well, I think you've both talked about this um, learning from one another that's so helpful. And right now we live in such a polarized environment and it is politically charged. And if you're on social media, it's just bombarding you day and night. And it's it's profoundly affecting probably your congregations and congregations right across the world, particularly in North America. And I'd love to know, how are you leading through those tensions today? John. Well, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm going to preach on Jesus for the foreseeable future, and I don't say that lightly. Uh, I'm doing the Beatitudes right now. Everybody's arguing about the kingdom of heaven on earth through political parties, and I'm like, here's who Jesus says gets the kingdom and what it's like. So to me, the, the I think it was Eugene Peterson said that the pastor's primary responsibility is to cultivate love for Jesus amongst his people. And so there's always going to be various idols and ideologies competing for the affection that belongs only to Jesus. And I'm trying to lift people above that. Now, I'm not saying politics doesn't matter. The legislation that's passed has huge ramifications for the lives of millions of people. Um, so vote your conscience. You, what a gift to live at a, a time of history in a place where you get to vote your conscience. But beyond that, the level of agency you have every day to follow Jesus where you are, to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to speak, to speak the words of Jesus, to show the love of Jesus is huge. So I see people trading in or selling the, the kingdom agency they possess as disciples for distant political opinion that causes division. And I'm just trying to get my church to calm down and realize that the nationalism and ideology that's present right now. So that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to lift up Jesus. I'm trying to like steady the ship and uh, live between the tensions. But I'm telling you, I, I weep for America right now. America is a broken and divided nation and it will not be healed by a political figure. 
doesn't yeah. matter who's in position uh, of the president next, they will only bring further division and we need a united church. So I'm trying to trying to preach it through the Beatitudes. Uh, for Epiphany, I'll do a series on the greatness of Jesus to those outside the church. For Lent, I'll do something on Jesus and temptation. It's just I'm talking about Jesus. That's it. Amazing. Thank you. Father James. Well, obviously, our Canadian context is very, very different from the U.S. one, and we're very much concerned. Uh, John, we're, we're really praying for the folks in the U.S., and because we we, we see the kind of ugly side of things that's coming out. And I, I think that overall, regardless of our, perhaps our, our theological perspective or our political perspective, it is a chance for the church to clarify its self-definition that, that the church will never, ever, ever, the gospel will never, ever, ever fit into a political context. And if we're getting it right, there'll be, there'll be aspects of what we do that will be more associated with what people call the right, and they're going to be, th- and if we're not also experiencing that there are parts of what we stand for that are, that are, that are also fitting in with the left, then we're not getting it right. You know, I think uh, uh, Kerry Newhoff used to say, if, if, if God d- never disagrees with your politics, there might be a problem. There might be a problem here because Christians from the early c- centuries always confounded um, uh, the, 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 the political system. And here's the thing too, like our, you can't support a political party regardless of what country you're in, like your, like your football team. I'm from Scotland, I say football, not, not, not soccer. You don't support your, your, your political party no matter what. You don't support a political candidate no matter what. That, that, that is, that is a, a turning upside down of, of our fundamental identity as, 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 as the people of God, that, that, that we are, we are so, sojourners in, in this world. We, this, we don't have a permanent home here. So I think this turmoil is also a time to clarify and to teach and to reclaim our, our fundamental identity as Christians. That's so helpful. I'm going to, what I'm going to do now is I'm going to turn to some of the Q&A that we have. There's some questions that we've been receiving, and then I have one final question uh, before we turn it back over to Jason. Uh, Callum Lindsay asked, what do you see as the way congregations and denominations can and should work together to see renewal and revival. I'm going to give that question to you, John, and then I'll give uh, Father James the next question, just so we can get through a few of them. Uh, So to me, I mean, I think doctrine matters. Doctrine is obviously important. Um, You know, holding to theological convictions is central to our faith. But we're rarely going to build partnerships and unity on 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 doctrine. It's 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 challenging to do that. And and often, when people do unite around doctrine, the things they neglect are quite horrific. And so, to me, you've got to ask the questions like, where are the points of partnership? And I think right now, there's probably two opportunities. Uh, one's around the area of justice, and the other one's around the area of prayer. All followers of Jesus have a conviction that it is our job to care about the poor and to bring healing to the brokenness of the world. Personally, systemically, followers of Jesus know this. And secondly, followers of Jesus know that we are commanded and invited to pray. And so to me, rallying around prayer and justice are the huge starting points. And um, it can look different. People can own the ways that they do that. But I think if, if I was to pull two levers, those would be it. Um, one sort of sub note behind the scenes 
um, it would be about church leader relationships. That's when things really happen, when there's pastoral friendships. You know, I'm, I'm very busy. I have uh, a ton of responsibilities and pastoral concerns. I'm going to leverage my margin for people I know, not just a cause or an ideology, even if I agree with it. It's relationships that uh, is where a lot of these things become real. So to me, developing friendships behind the scenes and then serving together and praying together, I think are probably the most hopeful things uh, in our divided cultural moment. Yeah. Uh, Father James, a question from Mark Holland. How as a lay person do you bring about a refocus to missionary, to missionary for maintenance when the priest is high maintenance focused? So how do the yeah, lay people do that? Yeah. That's that's, uh, that's, a, that's a huge question. You know, sadly, when I, in times when I've traveled and spoke to people uh, and feeling people's frustration and pain because their hearts are lit up, but then they think of their pastor and it's like, oh, you know, and it depends. Uh, pastors exist on a kind of a sliding scale in terms of being uh, a, a, a bottle opener or a bottleneck, you know, like in terms of, of controlling it. And remember, by maintenance, we really, we're talking about maintaining the flock. So it's, it's not a bad thing in and of itself. So it really depends on the personality of the pastor. But the first thing that I would do is to pray for the pastor. Pray, pray, pray. Uh, not, you know, oh, God, change him. Change him. Lord, change, change my heart. Help, help me to love him. Help me to love him. Help me to give him hope, to be a, a, a son of encouragement, a daughter of encouragement, to be a Barnabas mm. who encourages, who encourages to put heart into another person. That's what I would say. Number two buy in you know so many people when they they feel disengaged or they're they're frustrated with the church leadership to say that's it i'm not serving i'm not gonna step in i'm not gonna i'm gonna decrease my giving step in step in and serve with humility uh and and you'll win the right to 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 have your pastors here you'll 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 win the right from to, to trust you the other thing is is recognize that you might not be in that role but you have a sphere of influence if you're heading up a ministry you know work to bring that ministry to health you know, cast vision, be, be a sort of hope and, and, and a positive spirit. Uh, address within yourself uh, that, that temptation to be critical and, and negative. And then I would say, you know, if, if your church isn't running Alpha, help get Alpha going. Because even busy pastors who, who uh, might not make time for that might, might be permission givers and may allow that to happen. And I don't know any pastor whose heart doesn't melt when people start to come, start coming to know Jesus and being filled with the Holy spirit and start bearing the fruits of the kingdom, you know? And so that's what I would encourage you to do. Um, pray for him, love him, encourage him and step up in, in minister and serve with the gifts that God has given you. There's another question that's come in from Cam Aitken. I think it's a really helpful one talking about youth. And we're all aware that the church in the West is really bleeding the next generation of young people. And Cam asked this question, what do you see as the way forward for youth ministries and reaching young people? Youth ministry certainly doesn't look the same right now, and I don't think it ever will. Do you have anything to share about what you think the future of reaching lost youth might look like? And that probably ties into many questions, John, that have come in for you, because so many people have seen you discipling your teenage daughter, because you've put that on social media. So perhaps you can take this question and say, what do you think is the responsibility of the church? And what are the ways forward for youth ministries and helping to disciple, but also reach those that haven't grown up in the church that are teenagers and youth today? 
Well, I mean, it's such a meta question. My gosh, how do you reach a generation at this time of history? <laughs> I don't know, maybe a couple of observations. Number one, um, you know, teenagers, so there's two tensions. Number one, what is the psychological, emotional, spiritual, relational, developmental stage of a teenager, period, which for the most part, there's definitely going to be some some stable, consistent realities connected to that. Number two would be like, what time of history do they live in? And what are the opportunities and challenges of following Jesus in that? You know, so the part one would be love teenagers, love them, listen to them, create space for them. Their bodies are getting pumped with hormones. They're being exposed to, you know, content that is very, very challenging. Um, They're struggling with their identity. So love kids, build an emotional bond create space where they're known and valued that's a fundamental you said that doesn't matter what time in history you live you have to love them number two then at this unique time of history i mean our discipleship has to be much more robust so i was a youth pastor for a long time and i was your traditional successful evangelical youth pastor grew youth groups to hundreds and hundreds of kids with pizza parties xbox games chubby bunny and sumo suits you know it was like It was entertainment, event-driven Christianity. I also had a huge heart for discipleship. But when I go back and I look back 15, 20 years and I say, who's walking with Jesus still? The vast majority of those who were involved in the discipleship components. So again, I think we've got to catechize our young people. I mean, we really have to teach them the faith in a compelling way. Um, We have to address the hardest questions. Cannot shrink back. Initiate the absolute hardest conversations you can have with young people. So to me, you know, like if, if don't shy away from black lives matter, lean as fully as you can into it. Don't shy away from what does it mean to be male and female gender, sexuality, lean fully into it and show people that the Christian tradition contains compelling, thoughtful, uh, intellectually credible and emotionally satisfying answers to these questions. So to me, I mean, that's basically what I do with my, I've done with both my kids, my son's 20, my daughter's 17 the hardest possible conversations done in a fun way with an emotional bond built on love. That would be a summary. Amazing. Father James, you seem to be leaning into that. Do you want to make a comment about reaching the next generation? <laughs> um, well, yeah, no, I just, I was just soaking that up, John. Thank you. That was great. Great. Well, the last question we have in the time that we've allotted for our conversation with you is around mission and opportunity. What opportunities do you feel like this season has created for the church now that we're more scattered than we've ever experienced before? What are the opportunities? Father James. Well, you know, coming back into leading a a parish during the pandemic was absolutely bizarre. You know, we, we only had about a third of our people on weekends that we had pre COVID and everyone's wearing a face mask. I mean, I used to be bad with names, good with faces. Now I'm just bad. You know, it's, I saw someone today. It was like, I didn't recognize you without a face mask. Um, So it's totally weird. And, but one of the advantages here, here's the thing. It's it's mind blowing to me because you know of course if if we're going to look at turning a church around the obvious thing is we we got to start doing the things that make the difference but in most of our churches we're so maxed out we're just working ourselves to death doing all the same old stuff we always did without really evaluating it and we, and we're unable to invest in the things that make the difference because we're so busy pouring ourselves into the things that we that don't make the difference. And in all my, you know, in the past and leading parishes, 
into a missional direction, so much time and energy does go into actually shutting down things. You don't just flick a switch because you've got a, you've got a vision cast, you've got to lead into the why, you've got to build bridges, win trust, uh, you know, bring key influencers, influencers on board, explain, come up with a communication plan and slowly transition, uh, shutting something down and starting something new. Here's the blessing of COVID. It's all, the, the switch was flicked. <laughs> it's all shut down. All the stupid stuff, sorry, all the goofy stuff we do in church that doesn't make a difference, it's, it's all ended. I mean, thanks be to God, finally, no bingo in the Catholic Church. Done. Hallelujah. And, <laughs> and so there's a whole bunch of stuff that gets shut down. And I'm talking about models of ministry, pastoral care, and such. And what we simply have to do is, please, 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 let's... Let's resist the temptation to even think about starting them up again. We might have to explain to people why we're not starting up again, but this is such a golden opportunity to invest in that main thing of being a church that's about making disciples, forming disciples, equipping disciples, and sending disciples. Let's put our energy and resources into doing that. Yeah, I definitely resonate with you know, whenever you read uh, about the history of biblical revival, when the presence of God comes into an area, it, abs it, it basically has the effect that COVID had. It shuts everything down. And so I've been praying, Lord, you know, like there's very little deconstruction left, God. Every, like everything, everyone's so flexible, they're so open. This would be a great time for the Holy Spirit to be poured out in ways that transform mm. our generation. Uh, Jonathan Edwards said, which, uh, which whenever people talk about revival, it makes people nervous. There's 16 uh, recorded um, revivals in the Protestant Bible. These are encounters where God broke in, supernaturally moved. And Jonathan Edwards calls revival the acceleration of the normal work of the spirit. So it's not something to be afraid of. It's what happens in 10 years happens in 10 months. It's an acceleration of the purposes of God. So I'm, I think there's an opportunity for something like that. Secondly, um, the, the online stuff, we did Alpha online. Alpha has never gone better for us in our history than right now during COVID because all of the barriers, even at its best, are taken away. Well, we're going to create a really welcoming, friendly environment. You still have to get the person to get in a car or get in a, a, a train and then get there. No, you just click a button and you get to go in. So I think there's tons of opportunities for online evangelism. And I think there's uh, opportunities to get the gospel out in fresh ways. And uh, again, it's easy to text a friend and say, hey, why don't you pop in and, you know, watch a sermon or whatever. They don't have to come to church. They can do it in the autonomy of their home. Those things are very, very good for evangelism. They're bad for a lot of other things inside the church, mental health, congregational care. Uh, other, but there, I think there are other things that are very, very good outward facing opportunities are huge right now. So the biggest one I would say is alpha and evangelism online. It's going gangbusters for us. Um, it's been, it's been really, really remarkable. Well, John and father James, thank you so much. I mean, this is an exciting opportunity and we feel it at, here at alpha Canada, as we serve and support local churches across the country. And we hear from church leaders who are obviously weary and tired and have just felt like this, burden because so much is coming at them on a regular basis. But I love it that they're also able to look outward and say, wow, there is opportunity for the gospel in this moment. Let's take advantage of it. Let's join the Holy Spirit and what he is doing in both of our countries and in our communities, because I believe he's doing so much. We just need to have eyes to see to join him in it. John, I know that there's guests from all over the world, but I'll invite them to join with you 
to pray for Canada? Would you pray for renewal in the church in Canada? And, uh, and if, if, if you're a Canadian listening, let's just receive and join with us. And if you're from around the world, we love you. We love you, South Africa. We love you, America. We're with you. Uh, but we're going to be selfish and let John pray for Canada. And then Father James, after John prays, would you pray for us that we'd be filled afresh with the Holy Spirit and strengthened for mission and ministry? And then we'll sign it off there. So over to you, John, and then Father James, and then we'll wrap her up. Yeah, let's pray. Father, we just come into your presence and we just, our hearts are just filled with so much joy and wonder that we get just an audience with the creator and sustainer of all things. Father, we just, just take a moment to just bless you, to lift you up, to honor you, to acknowledge you to say that you are the one true God and we are just your creatures and we are full of thanks for your mercy, for your kindness, your provision. Thank you for all the ways you move in our lives where we don't even know it. We just pause in a culture of entitlement just to push back with gratitude and just to say, we are so thankful for your love, for your mercy, your compassion and your care for us. Thank you, Lord. And Father, I just, I just want to pray right now, gathered in faith with my brothers and sisters. I just want to pray for Canada. Lord, this is a nation that you love. This is a nation that in many ways has turned from you and if nothing else has pushed you out of the center of its cultural conversation and civic life. And I just want to pray, Lord, that you would come back to the center. Father, we're just asking for a movement of your spirit where Jesus is put back at the center, where Jesus is lifted up, where what he taught is valued, where his ethics are celebrated and embodied, where his vision is cherished and worked for. So, Father, we just pray for a movement that lifts up Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit in Canada. Father, I pray for these pastors here that you would give them grace and power where they are. But, Lord, we just pray a great humbling and turning of this nation back to you, so that they're blessed, so that they prosper, so that they can enjoy the favor of God. So we just pray, come Holy Spirit, just blow from sea to sea across this great nation by the winds of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for this experience of the, the reality of the communion of saints. Lord, you have chosen us, you have anointed us, you have set us apart to be your holy people. And as we connect over this webinar, Lord, I pray that through your Holy Spirit, filling our minds and hearts at this moment, that you may renew the hope that is ours in your son, Jesus, as your love is poured into our hearts. Come Holy Spirit. Come Spirit of God. Oh God, in your words through the Apostle Paul, you to you, he tells us that he says, I can be strong in all things through him who places his power in me, who continuously places his power in me. Spirit of power, we call out to you. And we ask that as we experience our own weakness at this time, our own limitations 
our own fears. Uh, Lord, that you may come to us in that moment when we are experiencing deep within ourselves that we don't have it. We can't do this by ourselves, Lord, that we are totally dependent on your power. And when your power comes, Lord, then we can step forward with our human gifts, Lord, that everything depends on your power. So come, pour your spirit of power. Stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high, Lord, you told us. And so often we want to rush ahead of you. So come, spirit of power. Strengthen our hearts. Give us new hope, new vision, new joy in our lives. That no matter what, no matter what may fall down or fall apart, Lord, that you are still Lord of your church. You are still the Alpha and the Omega. You are still the Lord who makes all things new. We make this prayer in the name of Jesus, who is Lord forever and ever. Amen. Well, I want to say a huge thank you to Father James, Mallon, and John Tyson for your time invested sharing with us today. And thank you to Alpha Canada for hosting this conversation and sharing this with your network. Now, Alpha Canada has been running incredible webinars like these for the last number of months. And so if you found this webinar helpful, check out Alpha Canada's upcoming webinars. On November 25th and December 2nd, Alpha will be hosting conversations revolving around the power of invitation. Now, the Christmas season creates a unique opportunity for our churches to invite the communities around us to experience the message of Jesus. So this conversation around an invitational culture feels really timely and important. And so if you want to register for either of those webinars on November 25th or December 2nd, go over to alphacanada.org slash webinars. And our church has been running Alpha online throughout the pandemic. I think we're on our fourth course. And so for us, we're seeing consistent fruit and effectiveness using Alpha over Zoom. And so if you want to know more about running Alpha online, you can reach out to the team at Alpha at alphacanada.org or feel free to message me personally, whether it's on Instagram or whatever platform you're at, if you want to know more about how we're using Alpha online at our local church. And lastly, we are running a survey right now to better understand who's listening to this podcast and how we can better serve you as our listener. And so if you're on our email list, you'll have a survey sitting in your inbox right now ready for you to fill out. So would you take five minutes and quickly fill it out for us. And to sweeten the deal, everyone who does this survey is going to be entered into a draw to win some prizes, some books, and gift cards. And if you haven't joined our mailing list, head over to our website, ccln.ca, and jump on that now. Okay, that's all we have for you today. Thank you so much for joining us, and we will see you soon.